Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. Here we go, friends. We're, we're still in our emotion, emotional wholeness series. I've been enjoying this. I know it's been interesting because as we go throughout the week and I bump into people around town, we'll talk and invariably something like this that we talked about comes up. And it's actually cool how practical it is for us to talk about something like emotions because it's something all of us have. We all are struggling to deal with them in a, in a truly righteous or a good way. And it's fun that we can journey together towards the wholeness that Jesus wants us to experience. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm just going to assume you're all enjoying this as much as I am. So that's good. Yeah. I'll just keep looking at my notes. Okay. So today we actually, we're going to talk about the emotion of anxiety. Anxiety or to be anxious means to be troubled by cares, worries, stress, and even fear. To be anxious is actually a very common human experience. We all go through it in different times and in different ways for different reasons. There's lots of stuff that goes on in our lives that can cause us to feel anxious. Sometimes it's big things or little things. Sometimes it's very common things that everyone goes through. And and sometimes we're even surprised by the thing that comes into our life and causes us to experience anxiety. So... We always, we're trying to interact a little bit during the series. We're going to make this fun. Anxiety can be a fun thing, can't it? Maybe? I don't know. Don't, don't worry. You don't have to say yes. But what I want you to do, you get 20 seconds, 20 seconds on the clock. And I want you with, with someone close to you, you can work in threes, fours, twos, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Come up with at least 10 things that you think people would be anxious about. You got 20 seconds. Go. Ten seconds. All right, time's up. That's 20 seconds. That's 20 seconds. Oh, that's right. Cat, turn around. Okay, good. No cheating. (laughs) Okay, so how many of you guys made it to 10? Oh, man. Okay, Cat did. Good. That's why, because she didn't turn around. That's why. How many of you, how many of you would say that you were anxious as soon as I asked you to turn to a neighbor? Okay. (laughs) We love our introverts here at CFC. I like that. Okay. So just in case you guys didn't make it to 10, I I found a list online of top 10, you know, most common things that people will experience anxiety because of. So their finances, how many of you listed money somewhere in there? Okay. Yeah, of course. Finances, health. Job, relationships, I heard, I think I heard someone say friendships, overworking, that's an interesting one, I actually didn't think about that. How many of you thought of overworking as something that you could be anxious about? So this must have been an outside, okay, just, just one of us. Maybe it was for people outside of North Dakota, because we have such a strong work ethic. Right, Kent? Yeah, yeah, state center, you got to know these things. All right. Uh, getting older, I don't feel anxiety about that one yet, because I'm super young. Uh, our kids... How about what other people think about us or our reputation? Our past can make us anxious and also our safety. Can anyone relate to any of these things from this list? Yeah, I can too. 
You know, we're gathered here today because, of course, we're followers of Jesus. That's our reason why we come to church. We come to a worship service to set our hearts on God, to worship him. And we're going to look to him yet again today for answers, solutions, guidance, and wisdom for our lives on the topic of anxiety. You don't have to answer this question out loud, but just a few things to think about here before we really dig in. What do you think? Was Jesus ever anxious? Could he possibly know what we're going through when we feel anxiety crop up in our lives? We're going to start today by finding out if anxiety is really a big deal or if we've just made it into a bigger deal than it needs to be. We're going to look also at the advice that Jesus has for us as we deal with anxiety, which you could also call worry in this world. We'll discover how pointless worry and anxiety really is. And then we're going to ask, or then we'll answer some questions like, was Jesus ever anxious? And if so, how did Jesus deal with anxiety and stress? So let's pray, and then we'll look into the Bible together this morning. Lord, I believe that there are some people in this congregation who are probably gripped with anxiety more days than they choose to admit. And that's not anything to be ashamed of, Jesus, but we just want to be honest before you. Lord God, in this place, we we pray for healing this morning. We pray for deliverance and freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, this is your church. These are your people. And it is only by your work that we can experience freedom from this emotion that wants to take us captive. So Lord God, in this place, I pray that spiritual shackles and strongholds would be dropped and that people would be able to walk out of here in love and joy and peace instead of in fear, worry, and anxiety. Amen. All right. So first question that we want to answer today, is anxiety that serious? You know, when it comes to anxiety, I wonder if some people don't think it's a big deal, like it's not worthy of an entire message in a series like we're in right now. Some people might think, yeah, we all get worried and stressed out from time to time. It's just something that happens. It's not that big a deal. Just get over it, right? You know, I can understand, honestly, why some people might say that, because as someone who doesn't personally experience a ton of anxiety or worry, uh, I can even hear myself thinking in that way once in a while. But when we read what Jesus says in the Gospels, I think we learn something very important. Anxiety and worry is something for us to pay attention to because based on what Jesus says, worry can actually have spiritual consequences in our lives. Let me show you what I mean. Remember the parable of the farmer who is scattering seed and there's like four different kinds of soil? So Jesus tells this parable. Uh, about this farmer. He's, he's spreading seed. He's planting seed. There's four different kinds of soil that the seed hits. There was a footpath, which was packed really hard. There was the rocky soil. There was a soil that had thorns, plants growing in it. And then finally, there was fertile ground. So in this parable, the seed that was being scattered represents the message about the kingdom of God, a spiritual thing, right? And it's, God good, it's God's good news about Jesus who came to earth from heaven to die for us, forgive us for our sins that we've committed against him. That's the message of the kingdom. So listen to what Jesus says about that message when it enters this, a certain kind of a person's life. So this is from Matthew 13, verse 22. 
The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. Have you ever considered the seriousness of worry or anxiety? Jesus is telling us here that worry can prevent us from caring about or prioritizing him in our lives. That's a scary thought, right? As Christians, of course, we want to be laser focused on Jesus. And anything that would threaten that is something that we want to have dealt with. Worry causes us to focus on earthly concerns. Jesus uses the example of wealth, but there are many other things that can steal away our, our attention as well. Lots of things that we worry about. All the things that you probably listed in, in your groups or the things that you heard in that list are, are things that all of us have had as a worry at one point in our life. And when we worry about those things, it happens at the cost of us being fruitful, productive, active, vibrant, and faithful Christians. Our worry takes our focus off of living for Christ here on earth, and it makes us concerned about living for this earth. Jesus had a a conversation with someone that illustrates this point to us. In Mark 10, we hear the story of a man that comes running up to Jesus and asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? They have a brief discussion about following the Ten Commandments. And then in verse 21, it says, Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is using hyperbole there. or He's using, he's using a, a far-fetched example to show the seriousness of his point. So two things that we need to understand from this story. First, Why did the man become sad when Jesus told him to sell his possessions and give money to the poor, then come follow me? It's because the man was rich. Jesus was testing this man's sincerity. Did he value eternal life more than financial security? That was a big test. And for some of us, that's maybe the test that we're going through today. Maybe it's not wealth. Maybe it's reputation. Maybe it's a, a life of entertainment or leisure or, or honoring what our desires are in our schedule. Maybe those are all the things that Jesus is testing us on. The second thing is, why did Jesus say afterwards to his disciples, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven? Is Jesus saying that rich people can barely ever get into heaven? No, that's not his point at all. But Jesus is speaking to the fact that money can be a significant obstacle for some people to embrace the kingdom as their number one joy or priority in life instead of their money. We can become more worried about how much money we have in the bank than we are about going all in for this life of Christ that we're supposed to have. So back to the parable of the seeds or the seed in the soils. 
Jesus said in Matthew 13, 22, that the worries of this life and the lure of wealth crowd out the word of God so that no godly fruit is produced in our lives. Anxiety is so serious that it can actually cause us to divert our, atten- our attention away from God and put it on something much less valuable like money, popularity, trendiness, appearance, entertainment, recreation. God's greatest desire for us is that we're rich in faith rather than rich in the experiences that this world offers. You know, I'm just thinking of something funny here, but I didn't, I wasn't planning on saying this, but Karen and I, we like to travel. We like road trips with our kids. We like the idea of camping and exploring and hiking and things like that. And there's this temptation in me to say, okay, I need to save up all my money so I can do as much traveling as possible because that's clearly the greatest desire of our hearts, right? And then it's like, actually, no, that's not it at all. And it's, it's funny, I've talked to myself about this, not out loud, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not one of those people. But I've, I've thought about this a lot. And I thought, you know, when Christ comes again, and his kingdom is coming to reign here on earth, and everything is made new, and we're living with God eternally, I think that my greatest desires that I have now are going to be the things that are realized then. I think that the, the adventurous side of hiking and exploring is something that God is going to allow me to satisfy in heaven with him in a more beautiful way than I ever could by saving up every single nickel and dime and spending it here on earth. Now, does that mean that vacation's bad? No. It just means that I'm never going to be fully satisfied by putting all of my worry and care on experiencing life here, thinking I'll miss out if I get to heaven and don't get to go hiking at, you know, Zion National Park or something like that. So, I don't know, just an interesting perspective that I think God's given me on that one. Okay, so is anxiety that serious? I believe it is, based on the spiritual repercussions that it has. Next point that we want to talk about is that anxiety is also futile. During another time when Jesus was teaching about the physical needs of this life, he warned us about the futility of anxiety. In Matthew 6, verse 27, Jesus says, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And the answer is, of course not, right? This question is really a statement. Jesus is telling us that all the time we spend being anxious or worried or stressed out, it doesn't actually accomplish anything. It's not productive. It doesn't help us to live any longer. In fact, I'd argue that it steals time away from the life that we could be living with Jesus instead of worrying. A few verses later in Matthew 6, verse 31 to 34, Jesus continues, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So this passage is great, because Jesus actually gives us four reasons why worry or anxiety don't make sense, and they're pointless and ineffective in the life of Christ followers. So let's just look at those reasons one by one here. Reason number one, anxiety... Is for pagans. So Jesus tells us here that pagans or non-Christians are the people who concern themselves with the cares of this world. 
He's basically saying, guys, you're followers of me. Anxiety and worry and stress, that is not for you. As Christians, we live for the eternal life that has been promised to us. Our greatest hope, it doesn't come from this earth. Our focus should be then, not exclusively on life here on earth, but, but on the goodness that, that we have that is yet to come with God. Instead of worrying about how life is going to turn out here, we should be concerned about how great life is going to be when Jesus comes to take us to be with him. Reason number two why anxiety is not for us is, is God understands our needs. We don't have to serve, or we don't serve a God who is disconnected from us or unaware of what we need to survive here on earth. He made us, he knows all of our physical needs. So instead of fretting in anxiety about the requirements of life on earth, we can actually trust God to help us meet our needs. Parents, imagine if your five-year-old came to you one day and said, all right, mom and dad, I'm off to work. And you said, well, don't you mean kindergarten? No, I mean work. I'm a growing kid. I need food. I need new clothes. But then you would say, but we take care of all those things for you. And then your five-year-old says, well, mom and dad, I know you mean well, but seriously, I think I can do a better job of taking care of my own needs better than you can. Anyway, I'll see you later. I'm going to be late. When in anxiety, we obsess about our basic needs, aren't we choosing to ignore the care of God and trust in ourselves rather than in him? That's what anxiety equals. It's a great comfort to remind ourselves that our heavenly father knows all of our needs. Isn't that a reassuring thought? That, that is meant to melt away any anxiety in your heart. If you can't make rent, or if groceries are running low, or if you got holes in your jeans, not the kind that you bought with holes in them, but you know, the holes that wear through. All those things, just relax and understand that your father in heaven cares about you in every single way. Reason number three, kingdom and righteousness is meant to be above all else in our lives. Kingdom and righteousness. As people who have put our trust in Jesus, we've trusted in him to be our savior, the one who saves us, who rescues us from sin, and we're endeavoring every day to trust in him to be our Lord. And our Lord is someone who leads our lives. We don't just get what we need from him and then say, okay, I'm going to do life on my own. But if we've truly made Jesus our Lord, we're going to follow him in what he wants and what he says is good. Essentially, in coming to faith in Jesus, we've signaled to God that we value eternal life in his kingdom. And we acknowledge that living according to his definition of righteousness is more important than anything else. And that also combats worry and anxiety. Jesus is reminding us of the covenant that he's made with us. Through his death on the cross, he says, this is a promise. You can take this to the bank. You don't have to worry about this life. Instead, I just want you to focus on the same things that I've focused on. Kingdom living, righteousness, honoring God with every word, thought, and deed. You know, we focus on living for God and, and he helps provide for us here on earth. I remember uh, about this time of year, many years ago, Karen and I were looking at our budget and we were realizing that Christmas was going to be super tight this year. We didn't really have uh, any money to speak of to spend on gifts. So we decided that we would save hard so that we could at least get each of our kids one nice thing. We, we settled on not getting anything for ourselves. We were totally fine with that. We weren't disheartened. We weren't, you know, discontent. 
We just wish that we could do more for Lucy and Easton. As the calendar got closer and closer to December, we did our very best to cheerfully serve God, to live and to honor him, knowing that, hey, finances are what they are. We can't do much to change it. One day, we unexpectedly got some money as a gift from someone at our church. We weren't asking for it. We weren't even praying for it. They just decided to give it to us. With that money, we were able to get a couple more things for our kids and even something modest for ourselves. So looking back at that time, Karen and I are thankful that anxiety didn't take hold of us and cause us to panic and worry about Christmas that year. We believe that it was God's presence in us that helped us to accept our circumstances rather than obsess about them. We had peace in Jesus as we continued to serve him, making living for him our main focus. Seeking God's kingdom and righteousness first will result in us being content with our earthly circumstances and having our deepest needs met. When you find your joy and your hope and your glory with God instead of with material things, the importance that they have in your life really diminishes quickly. Last reason here why anxiety is is something that we can deal with, and it comes from this passage, is this whole one-day-at-a-time principle that Jesus shares at the end here. Matthew 6.34 can sound like a bit of a riddle. This verse isn't telling us to neglect planning or preparing for the days to come in our lives, but it is telling us that worrying about things that haven't happened yet is useless. It makes no sense to be consumed with anxiety today about something that may or may not happen tomorrow. When anxiety grips us about the future, it steals away our ability to live today by trusting in Jesus and doing his will. I believe that Jesus has taught us in Matthew 6, verse 31 to 34, that anxiety is indeed futile. It has no purpose and no value and no function in our lives. In fact, it robs us of the joy of the spirit that we are meant to have as we trust in God today and one day at a time after that. So we've seen that anxiety has seriously negative effects in our lives, and we'll see how futile being anxious is uh, a little bit later, or or we have seen how futile it is to be anxious. Now now let's answer another question here. This is kind of an interesting one, because I kind of, I quizzed a few people this week just asking them what they thought, you know, was Jesus ever anxious? What do you you guys think? Show of hands, I won't ask you to justify your answer, but... Does anyone think that Jesus was ever actually anxious? Okay, few. How many think like there's no way Jesus never ever will have experienced anxiety? Okay, and there's a lot of people who didn't put up your hands. You guys are just safety players. That's fine. So Jesus lived a human life, right? So the answer, I believe, just based on that fact, is that yes, Jesus did on some level, to some degree, experience anxiety. I'll be the first one to admit that Jesus didn't live a life, though, where he was constantly anxious. So I don't think that we'll see in Jesus' life the same things that we might see in someone else's life today who would admit that they struggle with being anxious or worrying a lot. In fact, I confidently say that Jesus was never once conquered by anxiety. That's an important word here. But he still felt the pressure on his life that anxiety brings. He went through trouble, did he not? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus would have easily had cares about the success of his ministry or about how to operate in the most fruitful way possible. And he was even tempted to worry. 
A vast majority of the anxiety that Jesus might have experienced centered around his impending death. So let's look at a few verses that show some evidence of anxious moments in Jesus's life. But in each of these verses, we're also going to see examples of how Jesus dealt with anxiety so that it would not and could not take him over. So example number one is from John 12, verse 24 to 27. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Okay, so obviously when Jesus says, now my soul is deeply troubled, that's our tip-off, okay? That's, that's an evidence of some anxiety that was popping up, threatening Jesus' life, right? And we, we learn from this statement that Jesus had a, a, little, a little challenge that came to him. It was a challenge that could have brought him to anxiety. He knows, and here's why. He knows that like a kernel of wheat that's planted in the ground will produce many more kernels of wheat, his life, when given on the cross, will produce many lives who will live for all eternity with him. That's kind of the analogy that Jesus is sharing with us here. Verse 27 is really key for us, though. Jesus asks if he should pray for God to save him from this sacrificial death. It's like Jesus is contemplating out loud, how can he get out of this agony that's awaiting him? But before the thought of avoiding the difficulty is ever really entertained in Jesus' mind, Jesus reminds himself that his sacrificial death, which will bring eternal life to many people, is the exact reason he came. So this is so important for us to see this little strategy that Jesus is showing us here. Jesus could have allowed anxiety to influence his decisions and even his prayer life. But because he was so in tune with God's purpose for him, Jesus helped himself deal with those anxious thoughts by refocusing quickly on the will of God. Sometimes we are faced with a difficult decision or, or we can see a really tough time approaching in our lives. What if in those moments... Instead of just thinking about taking the easy way out or avoiding discomfort at all costs, what if instead we did what Jesus does here? We did what we we think about God's will and his purpose for our lives. Does that guarantee that that things will be comfortable moving forward because we're focused on God's will? No. Actually, I'd promise you that doing God's will is probably one of the most uncomfortable things to do. And that's why there's many Christians who struggle to do it consistently. But if my choice, if your choice is either to be inside the will of God or comfortable in earthly terms, what would you rather have? I'd rather be inside the will of God every single day. Because I don't want to squirm in anxiety and it causes me to avoid obeying God. Jesus didn't do that, so I can't do that either. None of us should. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's when we allow the Holy Spirit 
to influence our thinking that we begin to know God's will for our lives. The best way that I've ever discovered God's will for me is just by being in his word daily. Man, the word of God guides me. It teaches me. It corrects me. It gives me the the path on which I should be walking. And when I take these words and apply them to the decisions I make in my life, I'm choosing to walk in God's will. This is exactly what Jesus does here. He knows what God has for him. And in a moment, he focuses once again on God's will for him, and it helps him to defeat the anxiety that was working against him. Example number two. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that his brutal and sacrificial death was just hours away, anxiety was all around him. In Luke 22, verse 44, it says, And being in anguish... He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So the word anguish here, in other translations, it means agony, great fear, or literally terror of death. If you're, being, if you're in terror, is that an anxious thing? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus was so anxious at this time in his life that he was terrified. That's an okay thing for him to admit. So it's not actually hyperbole or an exaggeration when it says that Jesus' sweat was like drops of blood. There's actually a medical condition called hematidrosis, where a person begins to sweat drops of blood. It's, it causes, or it's caused by when you're literally terrorized, when you have a great fear of death or tragedy or something like that, that kind of stress will cause blood vessels to pop or burst, which lead to your sweat glands. And then instead of sweat coming to the surface of your skin, it's blood. It's actually, it can be a fatal condition. So what Jesus was going through was a legitimate human experience because he was God in flesh. He didn't save himself from the worst terrors that you and I could go through, but he experienced them fully. What did Jesus do in response to this immense stress that he felt? That's the big question. It says that he prayed harder, more earnestly. I don't know about you, but when things get stressful for me, sometimes I'll admit I have a problem just praying. Because I, I'm, I'm panicked or I'm like, I'm worried and I think, I got to do something. Like, I can't just sit around. It's not time to be still. It's time to spring into action and change my circumstances. How many of you think like that when anxiety hits? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, right? But that's actually not the right response. And as anxiety clouds over our lives, we need to pray harder with more urgency to the God in heaven who knows our situation and the way that we can be helped most perfectly and beneficially. I think personally that Satan uses anxiety to pry us away from intimacy with God. So often in my life when things get stressful, I begin to feel that I have to do something. I have to get into action But when that happens, what I really need to do is make time to pray. I need to reconnect with Christ most urgently because it's in that moment that I need him the most. Not my wisdom, not my expertise, not my experience. Those things all pale in comparison to what Jesus can do for me in that moment. There's simply nothing more powerful than connecting with the God of peace and salvation and grace to help us when anxiety is trying to squeeze us away from God. Example three comes from Mark 14, verse 33. This is again in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, he, that's Jesus, 
took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. There were other times when Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him as well to be a part of more significant moments in his life. The transfiguration is, is the one that we probably all think of. These three men, Peter, James, and John, this is kind of Jesus' inner circle amongst the disciples. He trusts these men. He confides in them. He can be himself around them, clearly. They are his spiritual community here on earth. And Jesus shares his distress and trouble with the people that are closest to him in faith. When we're dealing with deep trouble in our lives, when anxiety is closing in all around us, we need to turn to other believers who will hear our grief, support us in prayer, and stand by us through the storms of life. This is what I believe that we have here at CFC. This is what makes this place special. As this, as, as this, or at this church, we have people who genuinely care about other people. I love, I love being the pastor here because I, I connect with a lot of the newcomers or I'll see them during the week or I'll text them, which you're welcome to do as well. But I, I just like doing that. I'll say, hey, thank you so much for coming. We love having you here. We hope you felt at home, right? I just kind of encourage them in general like that. Often, often. They respond to me and they'll say, oh, Jeff, your church is amazing. I'll say, it's not my church, but thank you. And, and they'll say, like, I had so many people who came up to me and said they're glad that I was here. And, like, they hugged me. I've never been in a church where people had smiles on their face as much as this. So, friends, keep it up like you're doing a good job. But this is the community that we have. We, we welcome people. And then also when the chips are down, when, when anxiety is threatening us, that's not the time for us to isolate that's not the time for us to come to church and pretend like everything's okay, right? That's actually really stupid because that's going into what Satan wants us to do. He wants, hey, you got to fake it. You can't be yourself at your church. You can't let them know that you're hurting. That's bad. And you, they'll think that you're a loser. They'll think that you don't, you're not a good Christian. Friends, that's not true. That's a lie from the pit of hell. This is the place to be broken. This is the place to come not just limping in, but having people carry you in on a stretcher because spiritually you need people to care for you. If you agree with that and you need that care, you need to say amen. 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 Yeah, there you go. <laughs> this is what Jesus did. He didn't say, okay, guys, hang back here for a minute. I'm just going to go and pray. And then he broke down in distress and anxiety alone. He shared it with people. I think, I think we have this pride thing, we have this privacy thing that can be huge obstacles. Man, if, if, I, have a, if I have a rough week, I, I need to tell you as well, just because I'm your pastor doesn't mean that I'm immune to anxiety and things like that. When we lived in Winnipeg, I went through some of the greatest learning moments of my life because of my work as a youth pastor. Some of the greatest joys in my entire life came in those days, but some of the greatest sorrows and gut-wrenching grief came from those days as well. If you want an anxiety-free life, don't get into full-time ministry. <laughs> but I love, love, love what I do, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. But it certainly comes with challenges. Two people in my life have helped me for the last 10 years so much. And I'm not exaggerating here that I don't know where I would be in life today without these two people that God has given me. One of them, of course, is my amazing wife, Karen. 
The other is my best friend, Donovan. In the most anxiety-filled moments in my life, I've always been able to count on Karen and Donovan to give me time to hear my heart, to pray with me, to talk to me, and remind me of God's good and perfect will. Good Christian friends, they will not tell you what you want to hear, but they will tell us the things that lead us to Christ, that encourage us to run the race even though it's hard. Karen has helped me or called me on some stuff that I need to be called on because I was feeling sorry for myself. Donovan has showed me a better godly perspective when I felt overwhelmed. I'm so grateful for Karen and Donovan being steady Christian confidants in my life. Friends, it's much easier, much easier to run the race that God has set before us when we do it together. So that was three examples of Jesus experiencing anxiety, but handling it in a godly way. And we need to learn from him to remind ourselves of God's will, to pray earnestly, even when we don't feel like it, and to lean on other believers. Here's two bonus teachings about anxiety from Psalms that are just too good for us to leave out this morning. Psalm 119 verse 143 says, As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. We can never go wrong with resetting our lives in anxious moments by focusing on simple obedience to God. Anxiety can scramble our brains and cause us to lose common sense and just do a lot of weird stuff to lose sight of what's really right and what's really wrong. In those moments, our decision-making can become erratic. But when we keep the simple commands of God in mind, just even focusing on the Ten Commandments, like allowing that to be something you meditate on and dwell on in anxious times, that actually alleviates some of the burdens that we deal with, giving us a sense of, of joy and safety. You know, a lot of parents, we we struggle to realize how good our kids feel when we have rules and boundaries in our house. It gives kids, young children who are developing, it gives them a sense of safety and that they understand where limits are so that they don't do things that are going to be hurtful to them. God does the same thing for us. His rules that he gives to us aren't meant to restrict us, but to actually allow us to experience him and feel close to him in times where we're just not sure what right and wrong is. I'm thankful for those things, the commands of God. And Psalm 139 verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. When I read this verse this week, the thought came to me, why do we have to ask God to search our anxious thoughts? Or search inside of us to detect if there is any anxiety dwelling in there. Then I wondered, is it possible that we can be unaware that we're struggling with worry or anxiety? Then I wondered, how many of us go through life as anxious people, but we've just become so used to it that we think that this is normal? We live under a cloud of anxiety and we deny ourselves the freedom that Christ Jesus can help us to experience. I think that this prayer that's on the screen here from Psalm 139 is an invitation that we should give to God or we should give God time or or room in our life to reveal to us 
If we're struggling with anxiety, and we might not even realize it. I can't think of anything that's more scary than than struggling with something that pulls me away from God and not even knowing that it's there. So I believe that to end today, we, we should give God the last word. We want to invite him to speak to us and show us if there is an anxious thought in us that we have allowed to just become part of our lives. He doesn't want us to live with anxiety, but he freed us to live fully for him and in him. So friends, we're going to be quiet before Jesus just for a moment here so that we can ask him a question. If you want to have a paper and pen handy or your phone so that you can write down anything that you sense maybe you're receiving from God, I think that's a good idea. When God speaks, we want to definitely listen, trust, and obey. And sometimes listening is is also writing things down so we don't forget. So we're going to ask God a question. We're going to ask Jesus a question. And then I'd encourage all of us to use the helpful teachings that Jesus shared with us today in the word to turn away from anxiety and turn towards God. So here's the question. Let's pray together. Jesus, is there an anxious thought in my life that I'm not aware of? Would you please show us? Usually anxious thoughts are based on a lie. That's not from God, but rather from our enemy. So just now, if you've received something, if God's pointed something out to you, I want you to just pray in your own words, just in the quietness of your heart, just tell him that you trust in him more than the lie that this anxiety is speaking to you. Lord God, thank you so much that you didn't just save us from heaven through some other way, but you actually allowed Jesus to come to this earth, live a human life, and save us as a human. Because now we get to look at his life and understand, oh, this is how it's meant to be. We don't have to be conquered by anxiety. We don't have to be stricken with grief or worry or stress. That's actually not for us because we are children in your, in your family. Lord, I pray that for everyone who you pointed something out to this this morning about maybe an unknown anxiety that is dwelling in them. I pray Lord Jesus, that you would deliver them from that that you would cause them to turn to you, help them to turn to you, and and to make you the focus of their lives rather than this anxious voice inside of them. Jesus, if there's another thing, another anxiety, another worry that you want to point out, I pray that we would be open to those things, that we would ask you those questions regularly, that we would listen to the truth, we would turn away from lies and receive strength from you. Thank you, Jesus for the agony that you experienced in the garden. You didn't turn away from it. You didn't run. But you turned to God, and you showed us that we also can do the same.
Amen.